Welcome, everyone, to the Spoonful of Sugar podcast, which is brought to you in partnership with Farmerica. We're recording live in the Expo Hall at HCA NKL's annual conference here in Nashville. Our special guest today is Dr. Arif Nazir, and he's going to address a specific approach to closing transitional care management gaps. I'm John O'Connor from McKnight's, and I'm here co-hosting with T.J. Griffin, the Senior Vice President of Long-Term Care Operations and Chief Pharmacy Officer for Farmerica. Now, we're going to be tackling a serious subject, but we hope to maybe have a laugh or two along the way. For as the saying goes, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. TJ, we have a lot of ground to cover in the next 20 minutes or so, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention something I overheard at the NIC Fall Conference last month by futurist and economic forecaster Jason Schenker. He was talking about ways technology is going to play an increasing role in this field. And one of the key points he made here was in regard to a subject that's near and dear to your heart, automated medication dispensing. As someone who pretty much is at ground zero of this effort, um, how do you see this playing out from a clinical care perspective as we go forward? Well, John, it's good to be here and good to be with you again and great to be with Dr. Nazir. And as you can see from what's going on around us here at ACA and NCAL, Every single booth has a technology component, and pharmacy is absolutely no different. You know, whether we're talking about integrated electronic health records, uh, integrated uh, rehab, the automated dispensing machines, whether they're in the facility or in the pharmacy, or our new micro-fulfillment centers to to take care of our at-home patients, technology is the way forward, and you have to have it to survive, and the data informatics that you can get from it is just so, so important. But John, we're excited today to hear about the ways Continue Care's uh, care management model integrates seamlessly into a facility's discharge planning process to extend care management into the home. This newly launched approach provides a dynamic set of services that promote medication therapy optimization and a nurse practitioner-led care program to partner with facility staff. And as an important part of that, of care management, is that important partnership between the physician and the pharmacist. And to that end, we have Dr. Arif Nazir with us. He's our chief medical officer at Bright Spring Health Services Medical Partners Program. And we're just so excited to have him with us. And Dr. Nazir, I'll let you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity. It's just lovely being here, talking about such an important topic uh, today. Uh, you know, as TJ you said uh, already, I'm a geriatrician. I've been practicing in post-acute long-term care and other geriatric settings all my career now, and has just been experienced uh, evolution in healthcare over the last 15, 20 years. Which, by the way, it's at phenomenal speed over the last few a couple of years. You know, and it's a good thing for uh, for all of us. So it's just in my role, I've been very blessed to have d- various seats in different aspects of this. A journey, and uh, at this point, I'm part of Bright Spring Primary Care, leading the transformation of Bright Spring with the help of Pharmerica into one of the top uh, primary care provider companies across various geriatric settings. Yeah, that, that's so exciting. You know, we were talking earlier about the the healthcare ecosystem and how you know in the past maybe that relationship between pharmacist and physician wasn't as strong as it as it could be. How is that changing? And going forward into the future, why is it so important that we do have a great relationship. Yeah, from my point of view, I think the most exciting opportunity which I see in front of us is really the innovation that is 
being asked to happen in this setting. And when I talk about innovation, I'm unlike many other people who really focus on the tech part of innovation. I also always talk about the non-sexy process-based innovation. And, and the cool thing about process-based innovation is that you don't require a lot of dollars for it. Don't, you don't require policy change for it. It's under your own control. And to me, just to give you an example, is teamwork. How do teams come together to work and to work better and more efficiently, right? To me, that is innovation which excites me. I think we have kind of ignored it for years. And I think partnerships like, you know, the one which Brightspring and Pharmerica is now creating between providers, prescribers, nurse practitioners, and pharmacists is just a great example. What a great disruptive idea it is. Uh, it makes me sad that it took us so long to kind of figure the importance of this out. But I think with us now focusing on it, it is going to be a very, very important part of healthcare system going forward. How do pharmacy consultants uh, work with nurse practitioner doctors to make sure that the care we are providing is evidence-based, is efficient, and is really person-centered? Well, John, with that set up, let's dig in. Sounds good, TJ. Let's, uh, let's get going. As you may know, the transitional care management model has been growing in long-term care as more residents seek to stay healthy at home with the person-centered support they need, and several new programs allow Medicaid-funded services at home or in the community. As residents discharge from nursing homes, this approach affords facilities the opportunity to play an active role in transitional care management for those leaving and realize a number of real benefits. They include lower costs, increased medication adherence, reduced rehospitalization rates, improved clinical and quality outcomes, continuum inter-referrals, uh, there's a value-based upside, and enhanced referral relationships. TJ? Well, Dr. Nazir, for those who may not be familiar, can you give us kind of an overview on how this innovative approach is, is disrupting healthcare? Well, again, the idea is simple. The simplicity of it is probably the best innovation is that how do we come across together as a better team in a very formal way and really clarify the roles every team member gets to play during a transition. I don't know if many people know or not, the transitional uh, aspects of healthcare continue to be the biggest weakness and the largest opportunity in the US healthcare system. Silly things happen when people move from one setting to the other because we just don't talk to each other in a seamless fashion. So I think the beauty and the simplicity of the continuing care program is to set very clear uh, formalities around which team player is gonna do what and take full ownership and accountability of those simple activities. And we know guys that the biggest opportunity and the biggest weakness in our transition is always around medicine, medicine, medicine. How do we make sure that people don't end up taking three different lists of medications that we all know exist in our homes these days, in our seniors' homes, unfortunately? And it's a disruptive idea that how do we formalize various roles to make sure that, the, that these lists are clean, people make sure that they understand which pills they're gonna be taking, their families know that clearly, and then once they go home from an institution, we continue to follow up with them and make sure that there's accountability of what pills are being taken, and we keep a very, very close eye on that. To me, that is just a very, very important opportunity which can be addressed by simple but very, very formal ways and that's what excites me about the continuing care program that we're trying to address. And Dr. Nazir, I'm kind of curious about the secret sauce here. What makes this approach to care management so unique and different? Well, again, it's unique because, as I said, that sadly we just have not created clear roles among interprofessional teams. This approach really provides a very responsible care manager who keeps an eye on what patients being discharged when from which institution and with what medication. And that information then is vetted by a primary care provider. Then that goes to the pharmacy partner. They make sure that before the patient leaves, they have an absolute clear package with clear instructions on what medication they're going to be taking. And then this care continues as patient reaches home 
somebody calls and checks and makes sure that the patient did end up taking all those medications which are required for their ongoing recovery. And then finally, really the, the, the icing on the cake is to make sure that there's a practitioner that follows with the patient and then confirms that the pills are being taken and indeed that they are having the impact that they were being given to them for. So I think it really checks on all the very, very key important pieces. And again, the simplicity of it really makes it very unique. Dr. Nizir, you touched on some very important subjects that come down to three different topics. Medication reconciliation, which is different from drug utilization review, which then comes across with medication adherence. So those are all three different subjects that that our audience might wonder how they can improve those transitions when they're struggling with staff. How can we help them improve that transition and help them through this process? Because those three items are so important. Yeah, yeah, TJ, that's a great question. In our healthcare system, unfortunately, we end up putting up everything on the shoulder of the staff who are just so busy. And unfortunately, they're busy doing sometimes things which are just regularly checklists, but unfortunately, they have to get to them. So I hope that at some point, we as a healthcare society kind of realize that and start thinking about how the regulatory structures are helping us or they're not helping us. So I think there's an opportunity there. But in the end, they also end up doing a lot of important things that they have to do. So a lot falls on their shoulders. So I think the only way to approach this is to take things off from their plate and bring in partners like nurse practitioners and, and, and consultant pharmacists who absolutely can do meaningful partnership with them. I think that's where I like the continued care approach is that we are clarifying the rules here, that not everything is going to fall on the last three days on the shoulder of the staff, but actually partners like pharmacy consultants, our care managers uh, remotely, and practitioner programs within the building are going to take those responsibilities away and shoulder some of that burden that the staff have. So to me, that is probably the most unique part of this program. And as you said, that anybody can do drug utilization review, right? I I always kiddingly say that my 11-year-old can do it, but who can really do a good medication uh, uh, reconciliation plus medication optimization. So to me, that's going to be the beauty of this program going forward is that we bring in the right people to not just address the basic checklist items, but also do meaningful uh, work which will impact quality of uh, care. Dr. Nazir, what do you think are uh, some of the things an organization should look for in a care management partner? Most important thing is person-centeredness. I mean, I see a lot of automated care management programs and platforms which are being touted around. We are not going to solve the problem just by creating digital checklists, right? I mean, just taking checklists and transferring them digitally does not mean that we have solved the care management problem. So that's my biggest advice is that let's make sure that the team players really make sure that whatever they do is really centered on what does the patient and the family want. And it requires listening. So all these technologies, all, you know, all these crazy scientific ideas will not work if we do not bring patient and families in the middle of everything, start talking to them really from day one when they start getting healthcare, trying to understand what their wishes are. And the care management program should be built such that every single decision that is made, every education we do, any instructions we provide are based on the needs and the wishes and desires and the input of the patient and the family. So to me, that is the holy grail that we need to make sure the person-centered decisions are made every single time. And I think it's exciting about, you know, some of the things that are old or new again bringing house calls back into into the equation, bringing the local pharmacist back into the equation, bringing a nurse back in to have discussions with families in their home, in their setting. Um, How is bringing all of that together back, how does that really help stop hospital readmissions? Well, the thing is that a lot of hospital admissions, more than 15% of them are 
avoidable, uh, are avoidable. Uh, you know, of course, 60% emissions are avoidable, but 15% of them are, are avoidable because we just did not satisfy the families. And how do we satisfy families? By making sure what they know. So if we bring in principles which are based on families' own philosophies into care, people will trust us more. So we can build better trust. We will make sure that families and patients are more satisfied. They don't panic when some urgent need happens. They have enough trust built with the team so they're able to call that person on the phone, their care manager or their nurse practitioner they saw a couple days ago. We need to make sure that we invest in, and that investment of time requires that we meet people where they are in their home environment. It's very hard to convince somebody that, hey, you should trust me. You're sitting in the ICU or you're sitting in your uh, acute care floor uh, or you're sitting in a subacute unit, it's very hard to build trust, right? So trust can be best built when people are comfortable feeling safe in their home. So sending these teams inside the home, the old way, as you said, is the best way to build trust. Once that trust is built, then we can cut down hospitalizations, we can improve medication adherence, all kind of outcomes can be improved if we can build that trust. So I think taking things back to home like we used to be the good old days will have many, many benefits. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think that uh, hospital discharge best practices provide a good starting point? Absolutely. I think the reason hospital discharge is such an important metric is because it is a lag indicator. You just cannot improve hospital discharges by saying that, oh, starting tomorrow, I'm going to cut down hospital discharges. Like, you're going to harm people that way, right? The only way to improve hospital discharges is by doing the right thing all the time. You have to set... Uh, you know, a foundation of the right principles of your process measures. Uh, you know, so in geriatrics, process measures are important. How do you conduct business? What is the competence of the team members? How, how often they see the resident? How do they take history? How do they listen to them? How do they operationalize based on their wishes? All those process metrics are very important. And once you do all those right things, then you will see that the discharge numbers will start improving. So yes, discharge metric is an important metric, but it has to be hit the right way, improved the right way. And the only way to improve it is through an interprofessional team working 24-7, keeping patient, family, and the person's choices in the middle and center of everything. So when a patient's being discharged from a facility, what, what should they be looking for in a partner to help, help them help their patient through that journey? Well, again, it, it cannot be, care cannot be taken on the day of discharge by somebody which the patient is seeing the first time, right? right. So it has become critical, and I'm seeing that uh, everybody in the healthcare system is finally now understanding this. Uh, I think geriatricians like myself and geriatric experts have been on this bandwagon for a year, but I think people are realizing that Teams have to be there from day one taking care of those residents. They just can't show up the last day of discharge and try to build a superficial trust, right? So I think what healthcare systems need to invest in is partners who are there, willing to be there 24-7, engaging with the patients and their staff in a very formal, respectful way, uh, very proactively, right? You cannot build quality care on the 11th hour on the day of discharge. So I think this investment of relationship between staff and the healthcare systems all their partners has to be uh, done before we can really improve outcomes. So any healthcare partner you are looking for has to be there 24-7 and help you design the right environment and have to be proactive. So some of those are some of the key attributes will be needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Nazir, are facilities and their transitions of care something that governs their CMS uh, reimbursement? Well, that absolutely does, right? I mean, if you don't provide good transition care, what happens? Things fall through, people end up in the hospital. And yes, hospitalization is an important metric, but in the future of value-based care, 
every single healthcare cost dollar, which is unnecessarily spent because we weren't thorough enough or things fell through the crack, is going to come back and bite us. So yes, as of today, hospitalization and transitional care end up hurting buildings. But in the future, very appropriately, every single aspect of care which is not delivered well, all the uh, things that fall through through the crack, every single thing will be hurt, hurting healthcare systems because we're entering in a very, very strong value-based system. And I think overall, it's a great thing. You know, I think the pandemic has brought this to the fore. You know, health, the healthcare ecosystem is really changing, and it's changing how our facility partners operate. It's changing how we operate with our own physicians. Um, how do we how do we continue to teach our facilities and work with our facilities to set up those better relationships so that they understand and can work with transition partners to really set themselves up for success in the future? Yeah, the pandemic has made a lot of things clear, but one thing pandemic has shown us that we can do things differently. I think there was a lot of inertia and malaise about change and transformation. People were just happy to meet the regulatory checklist and do well that way, but I think it's clear that regulatory checklists by themselves cannot give you good outcomes with an infection controlled disaster. People really, really need to have partnership with physicians who are engaged, nurse practitioners who are engaged, consultant pharmacists who are engaged. So people are finally realizing that just hitting superficial things and getting regulatory checklists is not going to provide the right quality care. So I think people need to, uh, like healthcare partners, like institutions like nursing homes and assisted living, have to start demanding from their partners that they just can't be a vendor who just come in and give a service. They need to build long-lasting strategic relationship with them, and which shouldn't be based on what profit I'm going to get tomorrow. It should be based on how we create win-win by creating better health outcomes. And then in the future, in the long term, we will win because, of course, we will be paid better also that way. So I think that short-term sight on profits and this and that, people have realized that that's not going to work in the value-based environment. Your organization need to find partners who are willing to do the hard work with them, invest in a culture change, and then provide proactive resources above and beyond. And it could be physician group I'm talking about, it could be you know practitioners, it could be pharmacy partners, it could be DME. You just cannot have a vendor relationship anymore. You all have to jump in with a long-term care vision and a strategy. I think that's a great observation. Um, I was wondering if you could describe MedPartner's role in uh, Continue Care and how the on-site primary care hub enables a better care plan for each specific resident, including when residents transition home. Yeah, a great question, which I'm very passionate about, uh, you know, based on my last comment that, you know, you can't just create services based on uh, just today's need. You have to invest in long-term relationship. Our in-facility med partners program provides a very highly trained nurse practitioner who welcomes the patient with the DON of the facility and other staff from day one. And they start learning about the patient as they go on their journey. The patient may be there now two weeks or three weeks. Every single day, somebody should be learning something new about that patient and their family and their needs. And that's the beauty of our program is that we build that insight and real person-centered needs of that patient so that the day of discharge, that all has been resolved and settled. And the plan that has been created all the way from medications to doctor follow-up through DME is based on the choices which patient and family has made. And then you continue that by in-facility, in-home visits after a few weeks and making sure that that patient did receive those services and let them settle and then handing that patient on to their primary care physician if they have one. And if they don't have one, then then that practitioner could continue as the primary care provider. So I think there's not going to be any other way of providing good care based on the outcomes of value-based environment without an invested team that is in the building from day one taking care of that patient. Now, we keep hearing about how home care, or more specifically, 
home health care is going to play a more pronounced role in the caring of the elderly. Uh, do you agree with that assessment? Well, who could not agree with that assessment, right, John? I mean, I could just parrot out all the statistics about the value of social determinants of health, right? Healthcare, particularly in geriatric and frail individuals, is not about pills. It's not about that stethoscope. It's not about the CT scan. It's really about the usual things like food, access uh, issues, and, uh, and, and literacy and all that. And you cannot address any of those issues without a good home healthcare aspect of it, all the way from home care services, basic home care needs, all the way to a nurse that is coming in making sure that your medications are in order, and then, and, and then bringing in other interprofessionals either in person or through telehealth. So I think home health care and home care by itself is going to be the linchpin of, uh, of really transformation of uh, high-quality senior care. And this, this partnership at the home that, that, that you've helped create, it, it is so much more than, than, than pills, like you said. It's, it's, it's observing those activities of daily living. It's helping, them, helping seniors know that there are services available to get them to and from the physician, to get them to and from uh, church, that there are services out there for seniors that are, that are available to help them take care of their pets and their pet food because so many times we see seniors who avoid uh, getting their medicine refilled because they can't afford it because they, they need to feed their pet. So it, it is just an interesting era of partnerships at home to really build that, that home-centered environment, that patient-centered environment, which is much more than than pills and paperwork, and so it's exciting. Yeah, no, that's a great comment, uh, and uh, you know, I fully agree with it. As a geriatrician, when I was being trained many years ago, I mean, you know, I was privy to some of those concepts, and and when I tried to do some of those things at that time, there was no reimbursement mechanism for it, so it kind of frustrated me a lot, like how, how I'm spend, supposed to spend one hour with this patient when I'm only being reimbursed very, very little for that hour. I could clearly see that, but I think what has happened over the last 20 years, and definitely with the pandemic, that policymakers are finally recognizing the importance of, again, social determinants of health, access to care at home, and how valuable that can be. And that, as you said, TJ, what a great example is that if your pet is not doing well, you're not going to do well That's either. Right. So what a great example. So fully agree. Well, we're, we're getting ready to wind down here, uh, Dr. Nazir. If there's one last thing you'd like to leave our audience, uh, one last point, what, what would that be? Well, please do not wait for one that one person or that physician with the red cape. Do not wait for that rocket science technology that's going to come and save the day for you guys. <laughs> really, it is in your own control right now. Just look at all the resources you have. We are one of the blessed countries in the world which has way more resources. I know sometimes we kind of start complaining about resources, guys. It's not really, really, really. I mean, to some level, yes, but really, we have tons in our own control. We need to be better team players. What we can do, we need to reflect how we can be a better leader, how we can be a better team player, just by focusing on our team and how we operate, we can significantly improve our outcomes. So let's be focused on our teams and inter interprofessionalism. Dr. Nazir, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a pleasure having you with us. Thank you. It's been a great pleasure to be here. What a privilege and honor. Thank you so much. Good. So, uh, TJ, here we are in Music City, USA, and I'm kind of curious, uh, are you more of an old country music person or do you like the newer stuff? So I'm more of a Zach Brown band kind of guy than some of the old stuff. So I kind of like the newer country music myself. Yeah. I don't think you can go wrong either way. Uh, my daughter is real big on T-Swift. 
but uh, Johnny Cash will always have a special place in my heart. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, TJ, before we uh, take off, any any parting thoughts? I, it's just uh, again this this vibrant expo floor here at at, at Aka Encal is so exciting and uh, just so 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 proud to be here and. And it looks like we have a, see, this is doing it live. We have a special guest walking up. Photobombing. Uh, Photobombing. Photo awesome. <laughs> Governor Parkinson is here with us. Just So you're stuck with the picture with me. That's okay. <laughs> it's all good. So you want to lean in and just say hi to our audience? Good to see you guys. Good to see you. This is like the Tonight Show when uh, Bob Hope stops. By. That's right. <laughs> At least it wasn't Don Rickles, right? That's, that's, that's right. It's true. Well, before we do finally close, we want to give a special thanks to uh, Farmerica, whose uh, generous support made this presentation possible. To learn more about ways Farmerica can deliver world-class pharmacy services to your organization, we invite you to visit them online at farmerica.com. Or if you're here at the show, just stick around. Along with TJ Griffin, this is John O'Connor wishing you health and happiness. Thank you. Take care, team.